0: listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Driving Law podcast. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me is my co-hostess with the mostest paul doroshenko
0: hello thanks for having me back
1: you're the co-hostess with the mostest it's not a thank you anymore now you're just back
0: well i don't even have to say that i'm back because i don't know maybe i was on last week i think i was on last week you were last so it's not even like i'm back i'm here all the time
1: Back streets back, all right. For
0: the listeners I'm here all the time, for those people who are binge-watching, binge-listening to our podcast, I've learned that people do that.
1: Yeah, they're binge-listening to our podcast until they get really sick and tired of hearing our inane banter.
0: I've been thinking these days that we should binge-watch Rumple of the Bailey because we have all of the episodes on the server in the downtown office.
1: So what you're saying is we should do a second podcast, a Rumple of the Bailey Reactions podcast.
0: sure. Or all the people who are watching Rumple of the Bailey.
1: Play the audio Rumple of the Bailey and talk over it.
0: We could do that. that or we could stupid. just do the audio of Rumple of the Bailey and just steal it. <laughs> just
1: steal it. See if they sue us.
0: BBC sues Good us luck, for Good
1: luck, BBC.
0: Yeah. They'd never find us in Canada.
1: <laughs> the Queen said it was okay. I hear.
0: How do we know? She might have. Yeah. For all we know
1: i asked megan markle she
0: that, okayed it that'll be our defense
1: yeah <laughs> megan markle said it was fine i saw her on the street talked to uh, her at a
0: party she won't be able yeah. to deny it she won't remember all the people she talked to
1: exactly um anyway we she should... doesn't
0: know what rumple of the bailey is anyway
1: that's the point yeah uh we should jump into it here though
0: let's jump into it
1: because i wanted to talk to you about this crazy story in the vancouver sun this morning about um injured drivers. And, uh, and wage loss, I was telling you about it earlier today. Um, so this is a follow-up to our big discussion last week about the changes to ICBC's um, scheme for well, this, compensating people. Is this people.
0: the Mike Smith articles? Are you talking about with the...
1: No, okay, that's not. It's about um, people's, the no-fault insurance system, oh, which oh, is oh, going oh, to scrap oh, okay. payments for future earnings. That's the title of So we're the back to ICBC. Yes.
0: The ICBC, the end of lawyers in ICBC and everything being a schedule of some sort.
1: Yeah. So this is a story by Rob Shaw. And the title is, if you want to read it out there, BC's no-fault insurance system to scrap payments for future earnings. What does that mean? Um, Right now, if you're involved in an accident, uh, you can claim, obviously your damages for all of your expenses associated with your medical care, the cost of your ongoing care, if you require any, um, the pain and suffering, which is an award, but it's usually not a ton, unless you're in a lot of pain or a lot of suffering. And then you also get future, uh, well, your past wage loss and your future wage loss. So any money you lose in the future as a result of your injuries. So for me, for example, my, you know, my injury impacted my brain. It wasn't as smart as I used to be. Um, and so there was some future wage loss based on how much less money, theoretically, I would have made over the course of my career by being slightly slower.
0: It's so hard to predict.
1: It is hard to predict, but...
0: Because being slightly slower, you might earn more money.
1: Why would I earn more money?
0: People might like you more. No. When you were this
1: isn't flowers for before, Algernon.
0: Before you, before you had your accident, you were uh, you were you know very sort of right to it. Yeah, I'm and, still uh, right to it. Yeah, well you were you, you slowed down by a, you know a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know maybe it makes you more personable.
1: So you're saying I was just a bitch before? No, you weren't a bitch before. <laughs> yeah. Just wasn't personable.
0: Just that maybe you're a little bit more personable I'm just, now, and just maybe, intolerable maybe before intolerable before will prefer you, but it's true See that how you, it is? You, you can't accomplish quite as much as quickly.
1: No. And I can't type and talk on the phone no. at the same time anymore, which I used to be able to do. I used to be able to think about and type a completely different thing than what I was having an active conversation with on the phone. And yeah. I can't split my brain like that anymore. No. Well. It hurts. Yeah. It's hard.
0: I know. So future wage loss. back Future to wage
1: loss. The point is future wage loss. And so the way that you would show that... If you were dealing with an ICBC claim is, you know, in in a significant case, you could hire an expert, you know, pre the period where there were expert caps and the new expert caps as well. Um, You could hire an expert to come and testify to say, this is what a person, an economist, a person in this industry would earn over the course of their lifetime. You could hire someone in the industry that the person was working in to talk about where they stood as far as, like, opportunities in that inter- industry and uh, their their particular unique ability to do it. Like, you know, you have some people that are just really good welders and some people that are okay welders, like you.
0: I was a B-grade welder. Yeah,
1: you're a B-grade welder. And if your career was as a welder, your future income loss would probably be less than a, you know, grade A welder.
0: Okay, So that's how they calculate it. So that's
1: how they calculate it. And then, you know, you figure it out through Mm -hmm. the use of experts to help the court engage in something that is very complex and specialized task that would otherwise require knowledge of the earning capacity of every individual in every profession.
0: Yeah. I know there's experts out there that do that. Every time I looked at this, you know, I don't do these ICBC claims, but anytime I had to look at this for some sort of calculation along this line, I, I just, it baffled me how they can figure it out. And frankly, I just think it's wizardry.
1: Well... I'm not an economist, and I think economics is wizardry. So yes, yeah, with you, wizardry. Well,
0: it's some sort of economics. It's Sorcery. not like it's not like like economics of coming up with theories of the way that the capitalist sure. system works or but something like that. you can like look that. at
1: it's like you know the average of lawyers in their tenth year of practice are earning you know x number of dollars per year, and if a person is a lawyer in their second year of practice, you can extrapolate from that what they're likely to earn looking then at the specific, like, subsection of lawyers that they are. You know, criminal lawyers are going to earn a lot less than a corporate lawyer. Yeah. As that...
0: $46,000 a year.
1: Nasty <sighs> corporate lawyer on Twitter keeps saying, I earn more money in a day than you ever pay in taxes in your lifetime or whatever. Yeah. It's really gross. Yeah. Um, just calls the profession into... Disrepute. What the... Into, uh, disrepute. Yeah. What, the uh... Just Going on about how rich you are. It's just... That's not... That's not... that's That's... I would never do criminal law because I wouldn't get enough money. Wow. Okay.
0: Anywho, I know you've uh <laughs> I've, got a I've little... seen those horrible tweets of this guy. Yeah. I I assume male tweets. Yeah. Anyway, um so back to it. Back um, to it.
1: So they are now um stopping the future income loss payouts. So currently you could say I'm in my undergraduate studies at UBC, and I'm getting an English degree. But after this, I intend to go into something like...
0: I intend to go into law and be the best lawyer there is.
1: I want to go into law. I want to go into med school. I want to become a dentist, you know, or people who want to be pilots or whatever. And you find this, this career path that they had planned to take... And you say, this is what they would earn over the course of their life. Well, now you stop.
0: I intended to be the president of Microsoft.
1: I was going to be the next Steve Jobs, but with, but, but with the Jeff Bezos money. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, it doesn't work that way. Um, you have to actually show that you took steps and, and things towards it. Sure. But the important thing is that you could get your future wage loss based on what it was that you had planned to do. Not your future wage loss based on where you are at this point in your life, and the change is that people who are now um, injured are only going to earn get their compensation for their future earnings lost frozen at the time of the crash. So if oh you are, oh my god! So
0: if you're like part time working part time, you've finished university, you've been accepted to law school, you've been accepted to uh, you you wrote a perfect LSAT, you're you had a A plus average. You've been accepted to law school and you're gonna take one term off to Save some money. Save some to money to pay for it. To pay for it.
1: That's your your part time job that you're working stocking shelves at Walmart is your future wage loss for the rest of your life. Wow. Um, so obviously this is going to disproportionately affect young people who are just starting their careers.
0: Greatly discriminatory of young people.
1: And if you're in a career where there's lots of opportunity for advancement, like an entry level job in government, where you have, you know, doors that will open to you, where you can work your way up and you can go from being, you know, the file clerk in some government office in downtown Vancouver to ending up being a manager and making, you know, $280,000 a year. And just by putting in your tenure, that's no longer going to be something that you can say, like, this was my plan, I got in the door at government, my plan was to work up and, you know, work my way up the ranks of government, which people have been doing in this province for a long, long time. Now, unless those promotions are built into your employment contract already, as then your contract contemplates a guaranteed pathway of promotion, you don't get the benefit of that. You are stuck at your entry-level job in your wage future earnings. Fresh out of university? Sucks to be you. Taking a year off to figure out what you want to do with your BA because it turns out you can only get a job as a barista with a BA? Sucks to be you.
0: I think this is uh, ripe for the PI lawyers to uh, complain about.
1: Oh, absolutely. But
0: whether or not it's going to get PI lawyers back in the game, I don't think it will.
1: Yeah, I don't think it will either, because again, but turning the you know, population
0: this, against this this decision, though.
1: Well, this is the this is the narrative. Now, there are there there's exceptions to this. Obviously, one exception that I mentioned is the people who have the career path mapped out in their contracts. So, for anybody listening, little bit of driving law adjacent employment law advice: have your promotions mapped out in your employment contract if you're accepting a job in case you get in a car accident. That's silly it's stupid, but that's the that's literally the like the the way around this and the other exception is people who are studying um, who are students in a program that would give them a career so like if you are in law school like actually in law school or med school
0: dentistry or something Dentistry
1: or um, or engineering if you're doing like a structured internship like a red seal program um, in a trade, they will pay out what you would get, you know, upon completion of that. And they'll also pay you for missed tuition if you'd have to take time off school.
0: Do they pay you for your increased value of your work if you go into that trade? Like, you know, you might earn $50,000 the first year after you become a HVAC guy. And after you've been doing it for 10 years, you're making $110,000 as an HVAC guy. Do they just give you the 50 grand or do they give you the
1: well, it depends 50, how... 50,
0: 60, 70, 80 as you go on.
1: Well, it, it would depend on how significant your injuries were. If you were catastrophically injured and could never work again, then yeah, they'd have to map it out to like what a career earning would be for that profession. But um,
0: But with this change still?
1: With this change, no, not unless that's built into your employment contract.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So if you're in the first year of your work as, a, as an HVAC technician that's your wage loss so for the, the rest of your life. So the key is really
0: just to start as a 10-year employee.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to need a raise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's Friday at the time this podcast is released and you always told me best time to ask for a raise is a Friday.
0: That's true. <laughs> best time to ask for a raise is a Friday.
1: Not hearing no.
0: <laughs> Monday mornings um, is when employers show up at work and they resent all their employees because they have to go back to work and they they realize how much stress that they've got. And Friday afternoons, they are thankful for all of their employees. So Friday afternoons is always the best time to ask for a raise.
1: All right. Two pieces of useful employment advice or employment-adjacent advice on the Driving Law Podcast I don't.
0: Today. I told somebody that at some point who worked for me. And unfortunately, yeah. and people remembered it. it and I remember. told everybody.
1: They'd come to you on Fridays. I'd see people going into your office Friday afternoons, particularly on sunny days, and closing the door. And I'd be like, damn, they're asking Paul for a raise. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the other thing that you mentioned about lawyers, and this seems like fertile ground for lawyers to say, hey, this ain't fair. You're correct. But right now, lawyers are being villainized, not just in the messaging that the government has said, right? We know that the government has said, you know, this is all greedy by CBC lawyers trying to take too much money and increasing the cost of litigation, blah, blah, blah. Those are all things that the ICBC brought on itself. It only cost a lot of money to litigate ICBC claims because of positions ICBC was taking.
0: Well, I think there's a point though. I mean, think about this. Um, You know, the the settlement amounts are always moving up a little bit, always moving up a little bit, and the lawyers are pushing it up. Uh, The lawyers never want to go to court. They're always trying to settle it beforehand, but they're always trying to squeeze out a little bit more. And if they can't get what they think they should legitimately get, then they go to court. And it, you know, costs more money. And so, you know, you can see where ICBC can see this is a never-ending cycle of hell where lawyers are going to perpetually grind us on the basis of the most recent decision. Uh, And if they don't like it, you know, we're going to push back and then we go to court and then it goes up a little bit more and it goes up a little bit more and this is never going to stop. So you you can see, I mean, I'm sympathetic to ICBC for that point. Most lawyers were doing everything they could to settle it. Because it's a nightmare to run a trial on one of these things. It's a huge pain in the ass and you never know what you're going to get. And if you've got reasonable certainty that you can settle it, then you can settle it. But if you have complete reasonable certainty, then again, you don't really need the lawyer would be the perspective of ICBC.
1: Now, Mike Smith wrote a column uh, recently in the province, I believe. I can't find it right now. Um, But uh, he wrote a column in which he described this bill that came from a lawyer. A person, ICBC cut the lawyer a check for like a hundred and something, 102,000 or something like that. And the person walked away after dealing with their lawyer's office with $22,000. And he was very critical of that settlement. But I managed to get a copy of the lawyer's bill as well.
0: Did Mike get a copy of the bill?
1: Yeah, he had a copy of the bill.
0: Did he understand the bill? Have you talked he to him? He did
1: not understand the bill. And so this is the problem. So
0: was it misdescribed in the article? Because I saw the article. It
1: was misunderstood in the article. I read the article and I, I thought, <clears throat> this doesn't make a lot of sense, the way that he's describing it. Um, but it sounds like the but way it's that...
0: consistent with what David Eby was saying. Yes. I mean, I felt that it was hyperbole and it was probably cherry-picking some.
1: Well, I'm sure it was cherry picking a, a, a case. And the reason for that is the value of the claim. So the person's, you know, past income loss, future income loss, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all together was $75,000. That's what they were paid out okay. by ICBC. On top of that, which brought it up to this 122000 there were $50,000 in disbursements. Those included experts reports photocopying fees, uh, fees associated with like paying for medical records, things like that. And the... the well, that's,
0: that's not calculated as part of the settlement.
1: That's not calculated as part of the settlement. Those are... What what happens is you get your settlement amount, what your claim's worth, plus taxes, plus disbursements. And then of course the lawyer withholds the tax because they got to go to government and just... Dis- the Taxable disbursements rather. Um, the uh, disbursements are the costs that are incurred through advancing the claim.
0: So the settlement amount is different, oh, is separate completely yeah. from the disbursements. Yeah. And so the, so the settlement hundred, amount there was 75,000 and yeah. there was 50,000 roughly in disbursements. In is disbursements. That, and that's and that was mostly expert reports or?
1: Expert reports, photocopying right. fees and, and like paying doctors to send medical records okay. they'll charge like yeah. to do that. Um, those costs are reasonably incurred in, in the litigation. Now, is it a lot of money for disbursements for a $75,000 claim? Yes, absolutely. Um, and there's a problem, obviously, with why it took $50,000 worth of material to get ICBC to pay $75,000. But ICBC agreed to pay those costs, which means it looked at it and said these were all reasonably exercised and undertaken in pursuit of this claim. The other thing is that the person, of course, they only get, so they don't get their disbursements back. Because the law firm advanced them money out of the lawyer's own pocket to pay the disbursements. So the lawyer says, I believe your case is worth enough money that I'm willing to take $50,000 out of my own pocket and this is personal injuries, lawyers do this all the time, and put it towards your claim knowing that I'll get it back in the end.
0: So the lawyers paid the $50,000 in disbursements. Yeah. And they just recovered that.
1: And they recovered that. And the that. purpose
0: of paying that 50000 in disbursements was to get the settlement that was higher than the probably $25,000 that ICBC offered the guy.
1: And so then there's 75000 Now the lawyers are entitled to get paid for their work. Yeah. And they take their... St- mandated fee
0: 33 percent it was actually only 30 this law firm
1: is entitled to take 33 and a third they took 30 so they took less than they're entitled to take and on top of that um they had advanced the client money in anticipation of the settlement so the amount that the client was going to get, which was supposed to be $50,000 out of the $75,000 once a third is gone, yeah. was further reduced because of advances that were paid by the law firm, again out of their own pocket, to the client. So
0: basically they had advanced him $25,000. Yeah. He ends up with $22,000. Yeah. There's he already some... got
1: 25000 essentially. Yeah.
0: But it made it look like he was only getting 22000 when he got close to 50000
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's he or she.
0: Yeah. I've got a redacted version of the I'm bill. i yeah. But Person. Yeah. Basically got 50 out of the 75 Yeah, in the end as yeah. a settlement amount. Yeah. So it was a an article that was like scandalous, looked terrible, Seventy hundred thousand, hundred twenty-five thousand dollars $125,000 paid out for this case to get a $22,000 <laughs> settlement when in fact it was $122,000 paid out in the case or whatever, and mm-hmm. it was a $50,000 in the end. And the only reason that it was... 122000 is because ICBC was resisting and you had to get $50,000 worth of experts in order yeah. to get to the point of the settlement.
1: And the only reason the client got a smaller check in the end was, was because, because they'd
0: already they'd taken money, already taken money. So the lawyers had lent the money.
1: So the lawyers had lent them money. So the had lent them money. <clears throat> the lawyers had paid to advance the claim out of their own pocket. You want to talk about greedy personal injury lawyers, I don't know when the last time I put i'll tell Kyla, you never. why don't you lend
0: me 50 grand
1: <laughs> no i don't have fifty thousand dollars. i i'm a criminal lawyer <laughs> give me a heart attack just thinking about it
0: anyway point is um, yeah
1: the point is that's ridiculous it is ridiculous it's ridiculous and and if you don't understand a lawyer's bill and lawyer's bills admittedly are really confusing and sometimes i look at our own bills and i'm like what happened and ours are here pretty straightforward yeah. i know um If you don't understand a lawyer's bill, then you might look at it and you go, wow, this person really got screwed and God, these greedy lawyers. But if you actually understand it, and they charged interest on the money they loaned the client.
0: What percentage?
1: 10%.
0: Yeah. That's a reasonable interest. It's It's less than your credit card. It's no gouging interest rate. If
1: you were using your credit card to pay all your living expenses because you weren't making money to work. It's
0: no gouging interest rate. You think if you're investing your money, you know, and you you get 5% back or but if you're investing in real estate in Vancouver a few years ago you could get
1: <laughs> And remember too
0: a huge return
1: The client agreed ties to, up their money Client agreed to all of these terms in a retainer agreement as required by the law society. Yeah. So they knew going into the claim for hiring the law firm that this was what was going to happen. And then they they complain in the end which you know to be fair as a lawyer we all know sometimes clients aren't happy. Yeah. Speaking of people who aren't happy, this is our transition.
0: What is it a transition to?
1: People are very unhappy these days with Road Safety BC.
0: Oh, Um, yeah. It uh, started uh, getting really bad right before Christmas, right? And you're talking about um, not getting decisions back from Road Safety BC when people have driving prohibitions.
1: Yes, and it wasn't just that. Around Christmas time, there were so few adjudicators because people had gone on holidays. People, there were the, obviously the actual statutory holidays and the weekend. Um, so they had only a couple dates in the week before and after the actual like Christmas day holidays. And they were not opening up additional hearing slots they ran out of time to book hearings within the time frame that they had to book them in. So, remember, the decision has to be rendered in 21 days. You and I were conducting multiple hearings on the Every 21st day. day. yeah. Well, we were conducting five on, a day.
0: On the 21st day. On the 21st
1: on day. The 21st day because, and that was the first time slot that they could offer to our clients.
0: So what they started doing, and they've done it before, but not sort of wholesale like this, was instead of rendering the decisions within the 21 days, they were giving notices of extension uh, to a lot of people, and not necessarily even giving their licenses back. So when the IRP scheme, your
1: fault, we can't schedule your hearing.
0: When the IRP scheme came out. They put in this provision that okay, if we can't render the decision within 21 days, we can give you your license back. Pay for the uh, you pay for the towing and storage, and you can recover that money later if you're successful. And we'll render the decision within a reasonable period of time after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a reasonable period of time was really one extension, so they were probably going to render it within a, a month or so.
1: Yeah, um, in, in the in the beginning, it was short extensions.
0: But they also said in the legislation that they didn't have to give you your license back. Mm-hmm. Um that it was a sort of optional thing. But, you know, when the government lawyers stood in court, they said, don't worry, we're just gonna give everybody their license back on this. We just wanna have this residual discretion. And mm-hmm. the government lawyer said, don't worry, we'll be able to render these decisions within 21 days. This is the same tribunal that's been around for a long time mm-hmm. dealing with decisions in administrative driving prohibitions. Mm-hmm. And that was the way it was presented to the court in, in the Sivia Goodwin line of cases. Yep. And now things have changed.
1: Yes, now, They, well, there was the interim period too, which we should touch on, where they started rendering extensions with no date. They were just like, we'll get to it when we get to it.
0: But they'd give everybody their license back.
1: Yeah, they would give everybody their license back and they'd say, we'll get around to a decision, we'll notify you when you make one, and then your prohibition will take effect at that point. It turned out to be a nightmare for them because they ended up in a situation where they had a backlog of, what was it, like 1,100 files that hadn't been decided?
0: And, And going back... two, two and a half years. how does the adjudicator remember what your oral submissions are in those cases? Even if you've taken good notes, how do you remember the submissions? And you're sitting there, you're getting the decision and you made this argument months ago and you're looking at it and you can remember, I can remember the arguments I made in most of the cases and you get the decision and the arguments don't seem to reflect the arguments that you made in the person's case.
1: Yeah. And there were times where I actually had to go to court and say, that's not, I like, they missed this. I argued this. I you know judge i i argued this and then she go she said she argued it it's got to go back for the adjudicator to consider that
0: well i mean in these cases where the decision is rendered months and months later
1: yeah i know <laughs> like oh could you prove that that she didn't because
0: well there's no recording of it and i always wish that there was a recording that was know, what prompted would me change everything to I'd start be...
1: putting as much impos as possible in writing in addition to oral submissions so we double up yeah um, then i could never you know you'd never say you didn't argue it
0: yeah But now things have changed again.
1: Yes, things have changed again. So now what they're doing is they're saying, oh, you have no license. You cannot reinstate your license. We're extending the time to render a decision. And some of the ones from Christmas are being extended into March, which is almost the end of the prohibition for many of those people. So
0: people serve their whole 90 day driving prohibition. This was one that, you know, we argued a few times was unconstitutional, um, because of the severity of the punishment and and charter violations um, and they said well no it's not that severe it's going to happen quickly and now people are serving the whole driving prohibition before the decision is rendered
1: which is absurd because they often go to court once the 90 days are up and they say well where's the where's the prejudice here what's isn't this moot they've served the whole prohibition what's the point of this judicial review give us some evidence that this is affecting your client meanwhile they're Not even rendering a decision in the 90 days. It's absurd.
0: And it also smacks of like creepy. Presumption um, of guilt. Make you
1: serve the whole thing and then revoke it.
0: Creepy, yeah. Creepy, well, there's that. Um, But just uh, like government not giving a damn about people. No. Just not giving a damn about the people who are being governed. You know when And got, these are decisions that are made in management, right? You know, the management decision can fix this. It's yeah. a management decision that has led to this happening.
1: Pull the adjudicator off decision writing and, or off, um, off adjudicating and tell them, clear up your backlog, get your decisions out by the end of the week. I authorize you to get overtime, get them done. Like if, if it were me and I had a bunch of things to prepare for with a hard and fast timeline... Gosh, I don't know. I'd be spending 10 hours on Saturday and 10 hours on Sunday getting it done, like I do literally every freaking weekend to get everything into the tribunal in time for my client's hearings. I hear you. Yeah, I know you hear me because you see me there.
0: I know. So, but the point is here, what is our remedy and how do we deal with it? And what do we do?
1: What do we do? Do we have an answer? I don't know. I don't know. But I wanted to tell you about one of my clients. Okay. I'm not going to tell you who, but... Um, John Smith?
0: Was it Mr. Smith?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, wonder if
0: we've ever had a client named John Smith.
1: Well, I couldn't answer that on the podcast, could I?
0: Well, I could run over to the...
1: Don't. Um, the, this client um, got a, made arrangements because, of course, you expect to be prohibited for 21 days, win or lose. Made arrangements to deal with the prohibition in that period of time. Got an extension with a stay. And said, look, I've already got these arrangements in place. I've got this thing I've got to do down the road a couple months from now that I need to have my license for. And if I serve my entire prohibition right now, I'm okay with that. I just can't lose my license then. So I need to either serve the whole thing now or have it revoked. So we wrote to the superintendent, and we've done this for a couple people who've been Been in in the same situation. And said, please cancel the stay. The client wants to serve his prohibition while your decision is pending. So the stay is canceled for a month for the decision. So he serves now basically 51 days of the prohibition. Yeah. Then another extension comes, this time for another month, and reinstates the stay. We contact them and we say, hey, no, he wants to serve the whole thing. Yeah. You know, yes, he's basically going to serve all but You know 10 days or whatever but this is better for him these are these are the consequences he's going to face and the adjudicator wrote back and said no it's my decision and i think you should have to lose your license in the future if i uphold the prohibition and not serve your 90 days now which is just ridiculous like what difference does it make to them at this point in time
0: that is ridiculous. That
1: I mean, clearly smacks of trying to be overly punitive and heavy-handed and, to some extent, some level of, an, of, a, of a bias against the people that are disputing the prohibitions and trying to get them to get their lives straight. It's supposed to be a consequence. Not having a license at any point in time is a consequence. It's not supposed to be a consequence that lose, leads to somebody losing their job or having to cancel their family vacation and upset their children or having to, you know, not be able to take their mother to the hospital for her surgery that's been scheduled or whatever the case may be.
0: The stay or not having a stay is a problem to start with because you don't have an opportunity to make submissions as to whether or not there's going to be a stay. Mm-hmm. So they violate this principle of of notifying the individual of their uh, potential administrative action and, uh, not giving them the opportunity to speak to it. That's the first part. And then to speak to it in such a manner that, and, and, and then it should be minimally intrusive generally, unless there's a reason not to, uh, be, because this is a situation where they haven't done their duty. Yeah. Um, and then,
1: and gave themselves an extension and still didn't do their freaking duty.
0: And then, yeah. And then you're in a situation where you're asking them to impose the thing. That is more painful for the vast majority of the people, basically serve it the way that it was issued to them. Yeah. During the time period where it was issued to them.
1: As I'm de facto withdrawing my dispute, you still have to render a decision on my arguments, but I'm going to serve the consequences.
0: Uh, and then they do that. That is really smacks it's of sick. bad faith.
1: It is sick.
0: It smacks of bad faith. It's
1: twisted. And I, I just... F- feel for these people that are being put in this position where the tribunal is saying, no, we're not going to accommodate you by letting you suffer the consequences that we're going to impose on you if we uphold this prohibition.
0: I've seen decisions, lots of decisions rendered since too, like decisions that have been rendered within the 21 days since this time.
1: Can you, I know, can you imagine if you went to court and you were being held, you had a bail hearing and you said, I consent Your Honor, to being kept in custody, pending my trial. I know I'm going to get a sentence that involves some jail time. I want to start knocking it off now. And a judge went, nope, you have to be released into the community against your wishes to abide by a bail order that you don't want to abide by that's going to make it more difficult for you in your life now for whatever reason. Maybe you're homeless. And that's just too bad for you that you want to remain in custody. Yep. It's just, it just, it turns. It's very aesthetic. upsetting. It's very you know, upsetting. And, and what are these people's remedies? Their remedy is to go to court.
0: Go to BC Supreme and Court. And ask
1: the Supreme Court judge to give them an order that they serve their prohibition, which by the time you get around to getting that, when we have now a nine-judge shortage in Vancouver, by the time you get around to getting that, you're at that point in time where they're upholding the prohibition and it's too late anyway, or they're revoking it and it's too late anyway. Yep. Where they're rendering their decision. Yep. But I just, you know, it also, like, to me, when an adjudicator is doing that, knowing, like, having been explained the person's circumstances, to me, it also, that is a situation. I don't read into an extension, a forecast of the decision, but I read into that, a forecast of the decision, which is that this is somebody who's trying to nail this person, not somebody who's trying to adjudicate fairly the matter on the merits.
0: Well, the other problem is when they make this decision, they get to look at their driving history, which they shouldn't yep. be looking at.
1: I know. And, no. then, and then you say, oh, you can't have your license back because you have a bad driving history. I have another client in that situation where he had no stay, no stay, you know, these extensions with no stay and, you know, expecting that once it gets to about two thirds, they're kind of in a, in a position where they have to issue the stay. Um, because otherwise it looks really bad. And then they said to him, well, you've had a previous, so we're not giving you a stay. And he's going to serve his whole 90 days because he has a prior record. This
0: is really awful.
1: It's, 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 it just, it makes this system. However, however, this is, this is
0: what we tried to explain to the court and we've tried to explain to the court many times and every time it's this kind of, you know, I see the the decisions and it's very frustrating.
1: I was talking to a lawyer today who was asking me what it's like to deal with British Columbia's, a lawyer from Alberta, what it's like to deal with British Columbia's IRP scheme. And I said, well, imagine if you're just standing there banging your head against the wall every day, but the wall has spikes in it at the same time. Well, <laughs> so you're a, hurting yourself by banging your head no, the prob- and you're impaling yourself. That's not, a,
0: that's not a great, I don't think that's a great metaphor because it's actually somebody out there trying to cause you pain. Uh, trying to cause our clients uh-huh. pain you know yep. yeah we might be be pushing uh, you know uh, at windmills what is it
1: tilting at, windmills. tilting at windmills i'm don quixote
0: um but the uh the problem is that it's like they're they're just trying to make it more and more unfair all the time
1: it's just it's com- it's just complete injustice i i just i there's no other word for it it's just unjust to do that to a person for right. no reason there's no reason you can't say, you know what, if you want to serve your 90 days, serve your 90 days. No skin off our back. Spite. Spite.
0: Spite reason. There's a spite reason. Spite.
1: spite like Larry David
0: opening, <laughs> opening a spite store in yeah, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a spite store. Oh, I'm yeah, it's enjoying a spite It's a spite store, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and everybody's like, of course, a spite store. We've all been there. It's a good, good season. <laughs>
0: good season of Curb Your Enthusiasm.
1: I mean, it's inspiring me.
0: The spite store?
1: I, I want to open my own spite stores.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> franchise.
1: Um, okay, well, uh, not to focus on spite, but now that we're laughing, it might give us a moment to think about something, the lighter side of life, that is, the ridiculous driver of the week, and this guy is...
0: Wait for the music.
1: I was getting to it. Gosh, you always ruin my intros.
0: Okay, all right, go ahead. Sorry. It's too late now. I'm so sorry. we have
1: ruined it. Now we have to just wait for the music.
0: You could clip back. No. Okay. Play the music. Ridiculous Driver of the Week.
1: The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. This Ridiculous Driver of the Week is awesome. Okay. So we've seen some pretty crazy distracted driving stories in British Columbia. We've seen, like, the guy who had his, um, uh, his phone like elastic banded to the steering wheel we've seen the duct people tape, who get yeah tape. the people who like tuck the phone up in the hijab we've seen the lady who was eating with her chopsticks while driving all sorts of crazy shit but this guy he was like hold my beer <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is impressive it's so impressive. Pay, pay attention you have everyone to, you
1: have to google this
0: okay as a as a musician uh, you know, having worked in the studio, I have greater appreciation for this one. So pay attention, particularly the musicians out there.
1: Yeah. So the headline to Google is forget texting and driving. This dude was producing music and driving. So Washington state on, uh, the highway, a trooper stops a guy for going 17 miles per hour over the speed limit, which, you know, pretty okay. normal, pretty un- but speeding. remarkable Speeding. And, uh, he found some drugs in the vehicle but the thing that really caught his attention was a full-on recording studio in the cab of this like big truck like one of those long haul truck, excellent.
0: trucks excellent
1: he converted the whole thing into a recording studio and you can actually see it if you google it um see an image he's got like the the sound program kind of like what we're using to record the podcast and he even had a setup that allowed him to record his vocals by pressing a button and a mic would drop from above him down to his
0: <laughs> excellent did it retract on a
1: separate second I, I, don't, button? Know, I no. don't know those details aren't there but I just great. I love like the drop-down mic that so is great can do vocal parts that's some serious dedication to not focusing on driving
0: well you know what you uh, you probably maybe you know you can operate your radio yeah why can't you operate your mixing board
1: and your laptop and your <laughs> mic and your headphones
0: <laughs> I, I really wonder about the quality of the music
1: I, I do too. Like, show us some samples. If you are the dude out there listening who exactly. had the recording studio in your truck, post some of send this stuff on YouTube track.
0: or send us a track.
1: Make a driving track for Paul and I to record a song to. Or
0: just, just give don't us do a, it while you're driving. Give us a track, and we'll we'll have a new track at the end of uh, Driving Law or something.
1: Yeah, we would love to hear your road music.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that is hilarious <laughs> and crazy and funny and uh, pretty ridiculous.
1: Yep. So that's our Ridiculous Driver of the Week, and that's our podcast.
0: Well, thanks once again, Kyla. Nice to talk to you.
1: Nice to talk to you as well, and nice uh, of all of you out there for listening to this podcast. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Driving Law. If you need to reach us, you can find us online, vancouvercriminallaw.com, or give us a call, 604-685-8889, and uh, we are happy to talk to you about ICBC, IRPs, or how to set up your own recording studio in the cabin of your vehicle.